Before we get to today's show, I want to ask you all for a big favor. Make sure you leave a rating or review. If you listen to the podcast, if you get value out of it, let us know. Leave a rating or review for two reasons. Number one, it helps other people find the show. It makes sure that we're climbing up the charts. And number two, it lets us know that we're doing something right. I read all the ratings and reviews. I want to know what you guys like. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at RealJohnDavids and hashtag making it. You can talk to me. I want to know what you guys think. Now let's get to today's show. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. Asher, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks so much. Thanks for reaching out over LinkedIn too. And uh, I've been following some of your content. It's, it's great. So what do you want to talk about today? What do I want to talk about? Okay, well, here's, here's the funny thing. We originally had this recording set for, I think it was a Friday. Yeah. And then Silicon Valley Bank went down. And yep. we said, okay, maybe we should reschedule this. So the first yep. thing I want to talk about is, I want you to tell me that experience as an insider, as somebody who runs a company with a lot of people. You might not have had any money all yep. of a sudden. So what was that like? Yeah, totally. And so just to give people a little bit of an intro to partnership leaders, we are the home for partnerships people. And so I'm biting my tongue to use the word community because the minute somebody says community, it's like a Slack channel or a Discord, right? And it's actually not that. It's it's a platform where people can find success by connecting with other people, learning from each other's experience or pinging experts and learning from their experience, right? And so so the, the, the community 2.0, in my belief, is really a platform, but it's a platform for success, just like we have a platform for sales, platform for marketing and other things like that. There are these platforms coming up. And so, so for folks listening to this podcast, like, yes, we created the home for partnerships people. And, uh, and we did it because of the personal journey that we've all been on. And so maybe we can touch a little bit about that a little bit later, but yeah. So like Thursday hits, I'm on the call and one of my friends says, Hey, people are pulling money out of SVB. And then the question goes like, well, do you bank with SVB? And now I'm like, well, should I tell him or should I not tell him? Right. And so, so I'm just like, prisoner's dilemma. What do you do? Exactly. Exactly. So, so like, okay, you know what? I got to get off the phone. I got to go have my wife. And it's like, okay, no problem. And then I log in to SVB and I'm like, move the money out, move the money out, move the money out. Right. And <laughs> what day and time is this? This is Thursday afternoon. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So now I'm like, wait, SVB's platform is hanging. It's not working. So like, why is it not working? Right. And so then I got on the phone with SVB. They're like, we are getting jammed. And then I'm like looking at the whole news cycle and I'm like, whoa, this is like unheard of. Like, you know, when do banks get run and like bank shutdowns happen? I'm like, just it's just a weird concept, right? For people that are like, what year is this? Yeah, exactly. Can I go to Best Buy buy a bank? Like, like is that is that the kind of the world we're in? I mean, it's just a very interesting feeling, right? And so like the drama goes on, right? And I, like, we just, we're just not able to pull money out, right? And now I'm like, well, I just went full time on this gig about uh, two months ago, right? And it's, uh, this thing is going to tank. So like, voila, like this is the full entrepreneurial journey, you know? And just for context, like, I don't know, I mean, size of company, how many employees do you have? Anything yeah. you can disclose their revenues or whatever? Sure, sure, sure. So, so we, we are very early stage, right? Like, like, like partnership leaders was, for lack of a better term, like a hobby for the last four years. And, uh, and then my co-founder, Chris, just went full-time on it. And I'm full-time on it. But we have, I must say, about eight people in the business full-time, right? And so, so it's humble beginnings. But you've got a payroll. You've got expenses. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Partnership Leaders has almost 1,600 members 
and the members pay anywhere between 600 bucks to like 2400 bucks a year so you can kind of do the math this is not a small outfit this is not you, a you got cash in the bank you, you yeah, got yeah, yeah, yeah. material material cash in the bank you know yeah. like material and and our way of running a business is like at least for this one is always have 18 to 24 months of runway in the bank like doesn't matter what the situation is just if you live by that rule you're always going to be in an amazing spot because it's going to take away this urgency this anxiety this fear of messing up like it's just going to take all that away and allow you to focus on really building value and then the value then gets realized in renewals and then that like when you get the first hit of recurring revenue it's just a great feeling so i always advise again. people yeah i always advise people like that 80 to 24 months of runway it's okay you maybe have to serve sacrifice for until you get to that point. But once you get to that point, like, like you, you will feel something that you just, a lot of people are just not able to feel. And, and is this a bootstrap business? It is a hundred percent bootstrapped. Okay. So you've got 18 to 24 months of cash in the bank. That is cash that you earned. This is cold That's cash. That's correct. Oh my Lord. So what, what were the moments like? I mean, the hours of Thursday and Friday and Saturday. So I know yeah. in the background here, there's conversation on Twitter and whatever, yeah. but are you getting questions from people? Like, what are you saying at this point? So my, my background a little bit is like, I've been part of like four venture back companies and three of them have exited. So I've, I, I've been through an, a couple of acquisitions and an IPO. And so you learn through like going all of that experience that when crisis hits, the best thing to do is focus on the solving the crisis versus communicating the crisis, right? And it's because a lot of people who are not in the founder position don't have the complete understanding of how this could affect them. And if you shared this news before you fully understood how to resolve it, you're going to create panic. And do not want to create panic at any point in time in your business. It's just bad, 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 right? And so, so I'm like, well, let's go figure out how to solve this problem before we start communicating it. And so Thursday goes and I'm, and then Friday morning takes place and I'm thinking, has anybody ever gone to a Silicon Valley bank location? And then I'm thinking, I've never gone to a Silicon Valley bank location. Why not? You know? <laughs> so, so I'm like, okay, you know what? 5 a.m. next morning, I'm talking to Chris. Chris is like, hey, I think it's going to be wise to go to the bank. And I'm like, I'm going to go to the bank. And then I look outside and it's pouring. And I'm like, wow, this is like a scene out of a movie, you know? This is it. So I, I just go to the bank and I'm like, I understand businesses are very resilient, you know, like, like if you've done this, done this a couple of different times, like it's not that your business shuts down like tomorrow unless you did something catastrophically stupid, right? And so, so I go to the bank and I'm standing in line. There's about like 30 CEOs and founders in the line. Wow. And I'm, I'm just thinking, man, this is like founder meetup, Silicon Valley bank edition, you know? It was hilarious because I'm just like, wow, like when would people ever meet, right? But like, seriously, that, that, that bank has never seen more than three people at one time. Totally, 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 totally. And this is like a founder meetup that's like, like curbside edition, you know? And so, so I'm, I'm looking at this thing and I'm going, well, let's see what type of conversations come up, right? So what I would say is like, what I found in the line was like amazing, right? There was like people kind of like understanding and helping each other and stuff like that. And, uh, and just talk about how they're building their companies and stuff. And like, like, like what this situation could or could not mean for them. Right. And, and I kind of felt that the, the world kind of gave us a crisis to kind of bring people together. And there was a whole bunch of like, I met somebody who built a 7,000 person community and I'm like, wow, like that's amazing. Right. And here we are like almost 2000 and they're like 7,000. And so how does one scale this thing? There was a couple other other folks. 
I also definitely left the, let's call it this meetup with a feeling that like not everybody should raise money because like you just take on this like, like sense of urgency and, and an insane amount of anxiety for like no reason, right? Like you could have bootstrapped your business for quite some time it's so true, and, man. and just not dealt with it, right? You could have dealt with customer problems and like understanding how to build distribution and stuff like that versus all this like board meetings, like stuff that's going to be, be, be put onto you, right? And I thought it was interesting. I mean, I don't know, like what's your response to this? It's so true. So I'll get to SVB in a second. But the point you made about how people raise money and they think it's going to solve a problem, you're actually adding a problem to your plate because you hear this big number, you hear like, oh, I've got seven, you know, raising $7 million. And it's like, yeah, but that's somebody else's money that they're effectively loaning to you. And yeah, it might say equity on the balance sheet, but it's really a loan. Like they want this money back plus some, you know, plus two, three, four X of pref. So at the end of the day, you're, you're taking on a problem. And unless you have a phenomenally good use for that money in the very near term, don't just raise the money. You're, just, you're causing yourself problems every single day. So that's my brief there. And we can talk about that more later. But this experience you had in the branch is actually really kind of funny because it sounds almost like a meetup. It's like, hey, let's let's all meet up at SVB. Uh-huh. And oh, by the way... On the curb part- side, by the way. <laughs> What's that? Curbside. They, they wouldn't even allow us to get in the bag. It's just curbside. You know? <laughs> so I'm, like, I'm like, does anybody know a taco truck? Somebody know like something? Like, like can somebody call something? You know, it was it was pretty funny. Yeah. Wait a minute. So, did you actually get to speak to a teller that day? No, we were there. They were like, you cannot be on the property. You have to stay on the curb. So everybody lines up on the curb, right? There's like news people, newscasters, and every everybody around. And then they come out and they're like, yeah, we'll we'll let you in one by one. But wow. you're like, here is the building and here is the curve, right? Like for people that are looking at this video, right. Right? Like this is how big it is, right? There's a big, big like walk, walkway. And, and then they at 9 o'clock... Because they thought you were going to be violent or, or they just didn't have answers for you? Was that the idea? There was no answers for us, but I think like it felt like that they felt that there would be some sort of violent reaction to this. And I'm thinking, man, these are like founders. Like there's, no not, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of neckbeards here. Yeah, yeah. I understand no. some people are in shorts and stuff like that, but... You should be used to this. Like people that wear suits do not come to Silicon Valley Bank, you know, like, like, especially in the Bay Area. Like, like if this was like another part of the, of the country, I'm like, sure, you know, like, yes, I get it. There are people that can be violent and they'll have a reaction, but not these people. They're, 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 no. they're not, they're trying to build companies. Yeah. Exactly. So, where, where did that, a couple more questions about the SVB thing. So, right. that day, I'm guessing you didn't have a resolution. Was there any backup plan, like before the government came in and said, hey, we're going to yeah. backstop this? Did yeah. you have a plan B? Well, so we did. So, what we did is, is we have always had, and this is kind of like, you have to learn these things through experience, right? And big, given that I've been, I've gone through this thing a couple of, of, I guess, few times now, right? We had a backup bank account with JP Morgan, and so all of our systems, because they're very self-serve, were routed. Like the minute I couldn't pull money out, I was just like route everything through. Like in five minutes, we had all our backup systems up, right? The problem, which is another learning for folks that are listening to this podcast, is when you have a backup bank account. You probably should have some backup cash in there as well. So it's not just a bank account. There's some cash in it too, you know? And so, so we're, like, we're like, okay, we, it's good. like every recurring revenue business is going to have like renewals that come up through the month. So we were going to be okay. Like it's not, it's not like, like that was not the point, right? The only issue was that like we didn't have backup cash. So we're like, well, let's just put backup cash, right? And, and so, so now we have those systems kind of like up and running around like, well, if this was a situation like this happens again, like what happens then? But 
The other big thing that kind of came up was, why were we banking with Silicon Valley Bank? Good question. We are a bootstrap company. We're not a venture back company. So why are we doing this, right? And it's crazy to, as I say this, right? But we had somebody on staff who was supporting us, amazing human, who had made the recommendation because we were happy with JP Morgan Chase, right? And this individual had said like, hey, can we just move to SVB? Because again, everybody banks with SVB. Right. And when we first, the first time we went to work back with SVB, they were like, you're not a software company. We can't even take you. And then like, oh God, like, like, so I had to like ask a favor to kind of get us in, et cetera, et cetera. Like we got in, et cetera. And you know, I mean, so the question still remains like, why were we banking with SVB? And the hard answer to that is because it integrated well with QuickBooks. Wow. That's the reason, huh? That was the, the, the reason back then. And since then, JP Morgan has done an amazing job with their integration into QuickBooks. And I know we use the word integration, it just means like one software speaking with another software. And it kind of falls into our world because we're a partnership people, right? And so like this thing has to connect, one software has to connect with another software in a really good manner. And banks often don't because of all the security and regulations that they have on them. But right now, like as far as I can see, like Chase is connected with QuickBooks and it's like, updating transactions every night automatically and stuff. So there's no, at least for bootstrap companies, there's no reason for you to like bank with SVB. You may bank for other reasons, right? Like that's totally fine. But like logically, there was, there's no reason today to do it. You were saying that you think people, companies raise money too soon, but that really is the culture of Silicon Valley. So why do you think they raise money too soon? And frankly, if you're building something that requires a lot of capital, how do you build it without raising that money? Yeah. So I would say if you are raising money, uh, sorry, if you're building a company that does require a lot of capital, i.e. that you have to do lots and lots and lots of research, right? It is just cutting edge, bleeding edge, like research. By all means, you need to raise money. Because like any amount of grants that you can is are just not going to be available. But there are very few companies that are like that. But I think what happens is like in Silicon Valley, we're like, let's just say in the startup world, right? It's like, everybody should raise money. And I don't think that's actually correct. And everybody shouldn't raise like lots of money because you can always build an audience. You can understand their needs. You can build it slowly, right? And you can start these hobbies and see if something happens and, uh, and something works out well. And if it works out, by all means, you can go raise money then because like what I'm about to say is also maybe a little bit unique, right? When we started Partnership Leaders, we started it out of a personal need, right? This was not a well-planned, uberly, amazingly, awesomely executed like strategy to like nail it all. That's not what this was, right? This was like, hey, we felt the pain. The solution to the pain didn't exist. We decided to do something about it because we were fed up. And four years later, it became something, right? now. If a company got four years to incubate, i.e. three renewal cycles have gone through, I'm sure you have go-to-market fit if you made it through four years. Right. So tell me about about the company. So partnership leaders, if I go to your LinkedIn, I see Catalyst, which looks like your event happening in August. What, What is the business today? And how did you build it over the last few years? Yeah. So... The business today is really a membership association, if you want to call it, right? Like literally. And what we're doing is we're connecting people that care about pursuing a career in partnerships together. 
And, and define partnerships. Like, what, what does that actually yeah. mean? Yeah. So, so the, the word partnerships means is how do we create joint value for a customer between two companies? And that could mean, hey, let's take our message to customers together. It could mean let's go build a product to go get and take it to customers together. It could mean let's connect our products together and take it to the customer. And when you connect products together, the, the word is, is integrations. But if you are going to do something with another company where it's just not a simple monetary transaction, I believe that situation is called a partnership. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be extremely like simple about it because the word partnership can be misconstrued in so many different ways. But when you do something with someone else for the benefit of your customers, it's a partnership. Yeah, I get it. it. It makes sense. I think a lot of companies will throw the word partnership around and really it's like, ah, I'm kind of in sales or I'm kind of in uh, JV or whatever. But at the end of the day, you're talking about actual partnership where the ultimate... I mean, the ultimate goal might be revenue, but the goal of the person in that seat is a genuine partnership. That's correct. That's correct. Help me understand how to build a relationship with another company. Quick break here while I tell you about something really exciting I've been working on called the Business Essentials Kit. Here's the deal. I get asked all the time, John, how do you run your business effectively? What's the best way to build a website? How do I get a branded email? How do I save on legal fees? How do I manage my social media? So what I've done is I put a kit together for you for free. You can download it at johndavids.com with all the tools and services that I use to run my business. Get it right now for free at johndavids.com. And so you have this conference today. The business model, I'd assume, so you are you are charging an annual fee. You have events. Anything yeah. else? Are there any other ways that you make money? Yeah. So, so it's amazing because like over the last 4 years, we have experimented a lot. And even though this is not a venture-backed company, we run it very much like a venture-backed company. Like we have our goals. Like I can actually show you the sheet. Like, like I don't think you can see it, but the sheet actually has all of our goals written on it. We go through quarterly planning processes. Like again, because we are we all aspire to be amazing operators, right? We said, let's operate, let's learn to operate and just build skill sets that we will use in the future together, right? Because this is my other core belief is like, you may have done amazing work like yourself, but every time you do amazing work with, or want to do amazing work with other people, you kind of have to go through that experience together for the shared experience and the shared learning to come out, right? And that's how you kind of build depth in your relationship with co-founders. So if there's like people looking for co-founders, you got to spend a lot of time and really take it slowly so you can create depth in your relationship so that you can then do amazing work together. And this will help you a lot. But what we've been doing is we've been experimenting a lot and we've been like launching a lot of features and stuff like that. But we, in October, November, December, we really sat down and said like, well, what is working and what is working from our viewpoint and what's working from our customer's viewpoint. And at the end of the day, our customers said that they value all the ways that we connect them. And so we connect them through a Slack experience, which is on 24-7. We connect them through one-to-one experiences. We connect them through few-to-few experiences, which is our meetups. And then we do a, a many-to-many experience, which is our Catalyst conference, right? And we're, we're going to go deep into this, like, like, how do we connect people and different types of people and different levels of people? We have like individual contributors all the way up to CXOs in here. And that's kind of the first part of the journey. I 
actually love this business model. And I feel like it's becoming more and more possible because people can build audiences over time through social media and email yep. and podcast, and they can then translate those. When you started this 4 years ago... So first off, did you have the intent to turn it into your full-time gig? And were the tools even around to be able to run it then like you can today? So to be honest, I believe we did have an intention to make it a full-time thing for us. We just didn't know when that would happen. And the tools still don't exist. <laughs> but what we have learned, and this has been true for every single company that I've been at that's been successful, is you may create features and the features will be valuable because you'll see customers renew. But if you want to increase the lifetime value of that customer, you have to figure out how to plug those features into people's workflow. And I, I like an example to, of that. Yeah, I'll tell you. So, and, and I like to break it up as people use the word workflow as one word, but I'm breaking it up with work and flow as separate words. So you need to make work flow, right? And the way you think about it is if you are a outbound sales rep, for example, right? There are three different types of sales reps categorically, right? One is somebody who likes to just pick up the phone and dial through like 250 contacts a day. The other one is not going to pick up the phone. They're going to figure out how to create an amazing like inbound engine for themselves by constantly connecting with their prospects on LinkedIn and social and stuff like that. And just building this relationship, right? And then the third is, is somebody, there's a category of sales reps who will always try to manufacture a warm introduction. And they'll spend like 80% of their time just figuring out how to manufacture the warm introduction. But when they get it, they have the highest qualified opportunities, right? Now, if you took the person that loves to like dial out and take their dialer that they've been used to dialing for six years and you give them an iPhone, they're not going to dial. Right. <laughs> and so this is what I mean. Like, like people have a way where their work flows and you need to like plug into it. And so for us, we could have built a email group, a Facebook group, a LinkedIn group, a Discord group. Like we could do everything, right? What we realized is if we just did Slack, because everybody else is already in Slack and there are different levels of Slack users, it's much better for us to like give them that experience because it's so native to what they already are doing for their day jobs. And by the way, we pay for Slack. Like I would say 99% of communities don't pay for Slack because we wanted to have that rich history of conversations for the past four years so that if somebody searched something, they could say, okay, in 2020, we, there was this happening. And then 2021, this happened. And in 2022, this happened. And so there is a lot of rich information there already around the evolution of the partnership industry as a whole. You pay for Slack and that's just to get into the weeds a little bit. You're paying per member. So that, that cost goes up too, right? That's correct. That's correct. It does. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think people, I think the vehicle makes a lot of makes a big difference. And you you phrase it up right, which is the workflow. It's got to plug in. I mean, Slack is a great example, and some communities are born on Discord and some yep. communities live on Facebook. You've got to think about where the audience is, and that would make sense based on what you're talking about. So just to give you an example in another context, you could put out business material or entrepreneurship material on 
TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. And in certain places, it can work across all those places. But in certain places, it's just going to spark a little faster because that's where those people are naturally. You know, if you had a crypto conversation on Twitter versus having that same conversation on LinkedIn, you might realize, oh, well, it's sparking faster yeah. on Twitter because that's where the people are. So totally. thinking about, about the workflow of, of your community is really important. Yeah, agreed. And I would say it's not even just community. I just think software in general or anything that you do, if you're serving a customer, like let's say you have a laundromat and the laundromat is not in like half a mile radius of your target population, it's just not going to do well. Guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you, if you want to have a high paying laundromat and you put it right next to a dollar store, you're also not going to generate the right revenues from that laundromat, right? I mean, it's just these, these like proven things, you know? 100%. So this looks like, I'm just looking over your LinkedIn here. It looks like this is the first time you are a founder. Is that true? That's correct. And so what's that been like? Because you've been a part of a lot of high growth companies. I, I know a few of these companies that you've worked at, but you're now the founder and you're the one who's responsible for making payroll and making decisions. Yep. Was that a big transition versus just being a part of a bigger team? I would say I was very intentional about it, right? And so people that have known me know that I've wanted to take this step on at some point in time in my life. But I, I didn't rush it, right? I wasn't like, oh my goodness, I'm like dying to go do this. Can I just go raise $10 million and like become a founder, right? Like I, I just didn't do this, right? I was like, let's build substance because when we get to this stage, we also want, I, at least I wanted to really enjoy it as well. But also like, I wanted to do this the right way for the right reasons in the right domain with the right domain connections, you know? So it's, it's, I just feel extremely fortunate because we're doing this for partnerships and I've done partnerships forever. I know a lot of about the industry. I've dealt with all the problems that my customers go through and I've been fortunate to be, be able to get responsibility, enough responsibility in different organizations to do all the functions that this company needs. And I would be confident to say that like I can get this company to like 10 million ARR or even 20 million ARR. But like after that, I'm sure we need like better professional help. And specifically because of the, the company that I was with before this, which got acquired by demand base. And when I joined the company, I think they were doing like 750 million, 750,000 in like ARR. And, uh, and we were able to get it to 3 million or, or change in, uh, during COVID, by the way. And uh, and then demand base acquired us, and uh, and I think I think the company hit like six million the next next year. So I would say, to definitely like I can get this to ten million, and then from there, if there's a person better suited for the role, then we give it to that person. Or maybe if one of my co-founders wants to be CEO, they can be CEO as well. Like, you know, it's it's not a, this is like for me, it's like a it's like a life life thing. It's not just that it's awesome to be go CEO of a company and stuff. Yeah, I think you, you hit on an important point there. Going from zero to one, we all talk about all the time. So, you know, creating something from nothing is one thing. Then you yeah. go from a million to three million, then three yes. to seven, then seven to 10, and then like 10 to 20, 20 to 30. But at a certain point, it becomes less about the brute force of yeah. what you can do as a founder mm -hmm. and CEO. And it becomes much more about navigating all the systems and making sure everyone's doing their work. And that's why yep. being the CEO of a $20 million a year company is very different from being the CEO of a $2 million a year company. And, and, I'll, and I'll just add the, the, the intentionally firing yourself is really important. And this is where like, you have to have amazing co-founders. You're not going to be able to do this alone, right? Like very few people can do this alone, right? And do it well, right? I, th I think a lot of people take a shot at it alone. But I would say for the last, let's say, year or so or two years or so, even then as this was a hobby, right? Because I had sales finance illegal, right? I was in brute force mode. 
Like if you ask me, people will say, well, this guy's like extremely aggressive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you have to be like, there's just no way to survive if you're not going to be, right? This year is just a very different year, but I called it out. Like I called it in October, November. I said, hey, if I ever go full time, I'm actually not going to be the same person, but I'm going to intentionally switch. And the reason I was able to switch is because I've already done it four times in a different company and I've seen people switch. So I can, I know the feel, I know how, 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 when somebody switches, what the other person feels. But also I would say like, you know, when you have two kids and you have the first kid and you have the second kid, you also have the change game changes. And then after, once the kids are like four to five years old, the game also changes, not, not give it like life changes because you want your, your time back with your wife and stuff. So you have to intentionally like make these changes. It's hard, but that's what being a founder is all about. And that's what life is all about. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about the event business. I'm really curious about this because sure. I hear a lot of people say that the event business is terrible. And then you see people who do events and it seems pretty awesome if you know what you're doing. Yeah. So what's your experience been? So I would say everything that you do has to be rooted in, does your customer really want it? And we started doing events because because we were born in COVID, I guess that's a term. <laughs> you know, the company was like basically doing virtual events forever. And the virtual event playbook is more about topic and speaker versus physical event location is more about experience. It is about topic and speaker and location, but it's more about like, hey, what are the cool things that I'm going to be able to do when I'm there, right? And it's a network. It's everything that happens outside of the the speakers. Totally, totally. And it's like, what are the cool things that I'm going to be able to do, right? Like, for example, at our conference, we're going to give people like silent disco headphones and there's no main stage at all, right? There's just like little theaters and people are going to connect with each other and then go to the to a little theater, listen to the talk. If they don't like like theater one, they can go to theater two. But like once they're done, the speaker comes down, we have tables set up, they can do an impromptu office hour or something like that. It's like, it's it's a very different experience, right? And and stuff like this just never existed for partnership people because partnership conferences happen in two tier two cities in tier four hotels. And it's just not high quality, right? But right. the event business specifically needs to be rooted in if your customers actually want to hang out, if they do, then you should think about the format. And if you're able to go do that, then you should think about like, hey, do you want to do a conference? And if you want to do a conference, if you really were to optimize a conference from an operator's mindset, you should be able to get 50% profit on your conferences, right? Like that's the goal. 50% margins on, on, on a conference. That's correct. And that's coming in through ticket sales and sponsorship, I assume. Ticket sales, and- sponsorships, like... And, Everything that you do at a conference can be sold. You don't have to start there first, right? You can say, hey, we're going to make 10% profit, right? And then you can say, we can do 30% profit. And then you can say, we're going to go 50% profit. And if you try to like go further up from there, you may start creating a really bad experience. But we don't do our conference to make money, right? We do the conference because we want to bring in an industry together, right? You, and- you just happen to have 50% margins. Well, we don't. We don't. We don't have fifty percent margin today. But I'm, just, I'm giving you the the thing. But yes, if we do get to fifty percent margin, we're gonna use it to do an even bigger conference because we. And this is a kind of like a good business model thing to kind of wrap up on, right? Is if you build a community business on sponsorships, you're gonna be in a world of pain because sponsorship budgets are extremely volatile, right? If you also build your your community business on a conference, you're also going to take a hit at some point in time because it's inevitable that this thing that we learned from COVID and all these other situations happens again. But if you built your community business on membership fees, once you're, one, you're always going to be close to what the value for the customer is. 
And then if the renewal rates are great, you're going to be able to build an amazing like backup plan like we've done. And that to me is like the right model. So PL runs on membership fees. We do not run on anything else. We use the other money to like experiment, do unscalable things, et cetera, et cetera. And then our conference, like if we make money at the conference, we'll actually hire four more people to then go invest in programs for for people. So it's not like we're taking the profits and, and we're we're pulling them out. I would love to take the profits, pull them out, and then make a bigger investment in a bigger venue like next year, or maybe just have like all the locations for like next year already planned out because that would give people an amazing idea to to plan their year, right? Let's think about it. If in October you can plan for all the conferences that you'll attend in the in the following year. Now you're like planning your year. That's going to make you a better person or a better professional because you're like, in Q1, I'm going to look for forecasting or planning. And so I'm going to go to this conference. And in Q2, I'm going to build capacity. So I'm going to go for this conference. In Q3, I'm really looking for networking. So I'm going to go to this conference. In Q4, I really want to go close a lot of opportunities and also plan with some key stakeholders. So I'm going to go to this conference. I mean, that would be a great schedule. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. And it would, it would be great for the event producers as well because you'd obviously be able to plan out and get your bookings done sooner. Totally. totally. And, and I'll, I'll leave you guys with this. Like, We have sold, I want to say, around 30% of the tickets already. And our conference is in August. August. And, and yeah. we're, we're talking now in March. Yeah. But what we started doing is all the people that bought tickets are voting on all the content that they're going to see in August. Smart. It's crazy. It's, it's incredible. I mean, forget the word crazy. It's, I think it's just incredible. More people should do this and say, hey, buy the thing and build it with us. And because we're building the whole thing for you and there's no agenda because we're not a technology vendor, like we, you're only going to buy another membership from us. That's it. But you're going to buy the membership anyways, even if you didn't come to the conference, if, if our value proposition resonated with you. But building the conference with your customers or your attendees and with your sponsors and stuff like that, that's the view of the future. That's a great way to do it, man. I really like that. So here, here's my question about this, though, because I just want to want to hammer down the events thing. So you're when you started the event, I'm guessing you started at a, a kind of like a small venue. Like what I'm always thinking about is people get stuck because when it comes to a physical in real life event type or a conference type business, the big risk is that you put it on and no one shows up. So how do you how do you actually get past that very first hump so that you can yeah. get to year two and three and four? So I'm sure you're going to have a lot to say about what I'm about to say, but it's like, because we have an amazing, awesome, vocal, engaged audience, and we did the conference because they asked us to do it. And the first conference, we were like, let's just do it for 200 people and 450 showed up. So we were just like, okay, let's just do something. By the way, we did this conference, Catalyst, last year in 90 days. Effectively, we put a conference at Miami Beach Convention Center, a tier one location, right? In nine, pretty much 90 days, maybe it's like 120 days, but like very, it was not a lot of time, right? And the whole idea was that people would buy tickets and show us if they really want it, because they can say that people want it. People started buying tickets like, like I think the first of the 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 cheapest ticket was like 5.99, and at the end, because we could not get more than 440 people into the location because of the fire marshal warning, right? Like the last few tickets sold for like 3000 bucks. Wow. You know, it's a great 
a place to be where you plan for 200 and you get 450. So that, that that's pretty awesome right there. But I think yeah. it comes down to a really important point, which is that you invested a long time in building that community first so that they that's wanted right. the event. You weren't trying to start from scratch and go, Hey guys, come to my event. These are yeah. people that know you and liked you and trusted you. And they were ready to show up for you. That's correct. And for each other, by the way, because they were like, well, we've, we've been connecting with all these people for the last couple of years. It'll be great to just see them in person. And when that happens, you don't actually care about anything else. I mean, we had like a donut wall, which had these amazing donuts. So it was, it was incredible, right? I'm like, when, when you go to a conference, you have like donut walls happening and stuff like that. And there's like an artist painting murals and stuff. And like, you can like, like paint and stuff like that with him. It was extreme, super awesome, right? Hats off to like the Brittany and team. But the, it was a great experience and, and it was all built around connection. It was not built around content. Amazing, man. All right. If we have partnership people tuning in right now, where can they find out more? They should go to www.partnershipleaders.com just to look at our website. And if you aren't compelled to apply and join today, please follow our LinkedIn page because we have, I think, like maybe like around 13 or so thousand followers now. But it's kind of like our free newsletter in a way. And you can find a lot of information about a lot of our events and you're welcome to join our events. And then when you feel compelled enough to, to take part, then you can join the community. I'll tell you what I love. So if you go to Partnership Leaders on LinkedIn, it has 13,080 followers right now, but you also have 766 employees listed because people will put it in... And listen, I think this is so brilliant. And Chief does this and um, Demand Base with Revenue Circle does this. Like You've got such a great hack there. It makes it look like you're running this massive organization because people wear it as a badge of honor. They, they do. They do. And we will now get recruiters call us and say, hey, we are only looking for people that have partnership leaders on it because like 51% of our members buy this thing personally. The companies, companies pay for it, but like a large number of people that buy it because they want to belong to something and create something because this market was so under, underserved. But yeah, like it works amazingly. And, and again, from a pure playbook perspective, and this may be like a cut that you want to do, if you're a founder, please invest in marketing first, customer success second, and sales third, and you will do amazing. That's the TikTok, man. That's the clip. <laughs> totally. All right, Asher, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you so much, John. This has been great. And again, thank you for reaching out over LinkedIn too. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a rating or a review on Apple and Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps other people find the show and it lets us know that we're doing something right. 